Welcome to the Gas Street Podcast. Our vision as a church is to be light for the city. We really hope you enjoy this message. Right, it's great to be with you. Um, well, for those I've not met before, which is most of you, my name is Joe. I'm a Londoner by birth and conviction. I'm a Nigerian, I'm a Yoruba. Niger- I know you're here somewhere. I saw it on your faces. We're always here. Um, Always. And um, I'm married to a guy called Chris. I was saying to the ladies yesterday, he's five years younger because why not? And um, I was going to tell you what he does for a living, but I don't really know. And it's too late to ask at this point. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's just a little late. I have two teenage girls. They're fabulous. Um, that's the introduction. Hey. Um, but to, to get to what I want to share today, I want to start with a story. I want to start with a story. A few years ago, I was seeing my mum in London. She still lives in London, and um, I thought I was going to try to be the good daughter this time. Thought I'd try and be the good daughter and take her out for lunch, take her to her favourite restaurant. It's a Chinese restaurant in our neighbourhood. And so it was two months late, but I live in the States, so that was why, most of the time. And, um, and me and my husband Chris and the girls, are in, we're in a car, and I say to him, as we drive into our neighbourhood, I said, you know what, Chris, it's all right. You can turn the GPS off. I know where we're going from here. Now, the fact that you're all laughing tells me that you knew something I did not know. And what I did not know, or at least I was living in denial about, is that I have absolutely no sense of direction at all. I don't know my left from my right. It's still guesswork, and I drive on the other side of the road now, so it's a little bit of an adventure. And whenever I'm moving. Anyway, so we drive into the neighborhood, and everything has changed, man. There was a Sainsbury's. I like Sainsbury's. It was the home of donuts for many, many years. But instead of the Sainsbury's, there is now an American embassy, which is fine, but it's not donuts, is it? We start driving into the neighborhood, and you know those parking spaces that only you know about? Those ones you don't even have to pray for, they're that good. They're that good. Those places, that's where we were going to go, but they don't exist anymore. There's not even a yellow line, there's not... There's some red lines, and they're really aggressive-looking. And so it didn't feel like it was going to be a place for me. It felt like it would hurt my feelings and my bank balance, so I couldn't go there. And we were driving in and around everywhere, and nothing was making sense anymore. But the worst part, friends, and this is something that is very close to my heart, the fish and chip shop. That bastion of carbohydrates. Where you get the most delectable delights with malt vinegar, which I'm trying to tell America we've got to get the program on, but they're still not doing it yet. Malt, I know, right? So wrong. It's now a bookshop. Who needs books? (laughs) Nobody. I mean, we all need books, but it's not the same. Couldn't get over a broken heart with the book, but you could with, well, you couldn't with fish and chips either, but you could try. You could at least give it some. Anyway, everything has changed. And so we get to my mum by this point. I'm meant to take my mum to the, chi- to the restaurant. My mum and my auntie Bassie, they come as a pair, have already walked off and taken themselves. They're in their 80s. They get there before us on foot. By the time we get there, I, anyway, it's a mess. And I don't know about you, but when I go back home I, um, and, and with the family, you kind of adopt the position you were in before. I'm the youngest in my family. So I step in, and I'm like, it's not fair. <laughs> Everything's changed, and I'm trying to go to the Sainsbury's, and I'm going to go to it. And then my mum laughed at me and said, Joe, it's been changing for years. You just haven't paid attention. 
And I recognized that our world, the neighborhood I grew up in, has completely changed, it's completely different. And I have to navigate it a different way. When I think of what I want to share with you this morning, what I want to share with you this time is about how sometimes we need a reset when the world around us changes. Even though you may be walking the same streets, even though you may be in the same job, in the same place, and you've been there a long time, sometimes you need a reset. And I want to offer to you a reset that we see in the Bible where Jesus has a moment with his disciples and helps them understand what they were there for and their purpose. Um, so I'm going to read from Matthew chapter 16. But before I do that, let me set the scene for you. Let's um, get into their world for a minute. There's been this time of powerful ministry where Jesus has been healing like 4,000 families. And then also the, the religious leaders of the day don't like it, so they're sending death threats. So good times, bad times. It's a mixed bag for Jesus and the gang at the time. It's a mixed bag. So Jesus pulls the disciples away and he takes them on retreat to a place called Caesarea Philippi. Now, I don't know what you expect when you go on retreat. I like food that is hot when I eat it that I've not had to cook. I like shopping opportunities because I do. do. Um, and the Lord can join me also on said retreat. <laughs> anyway, Jesus takes them to Caesarea Philippi. That is about 25 miles north of Galilee. It's a place surrounded by pagan and Roman temples. As acts of worship, people are trafficked at these temple spaces. You get my drift. I don't need to go into details there. And there's a cave there, which is the source of the Jordan River, where the sacrifices that were offered at those temples were thrown into. And the mouth of that cave was known as the gates of hell or the gates of Hades. So with that in mind, let's go. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you? He asked, who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus replies, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. The disciples and Simon, who gets known as Peter, have a reset moment. Their world is redefined. It doesn't matter where they are. It doesn't matter that they're in the face of the gates of hell. Jesus has something to say and he will say it. He has something to give and he will give it. He is not defined by the circumstances or the environment. He is God. So he will do what he's come to do. But I believe those words also, I think we read the Bible, but the Bible reads us. And so I think these words speak to our lives and the way the Lord is inviting a reset to each and every one of us. And so I simply wanna look at th three things. I've been struggling with counting recently. Maths is not my strong point. <laughs> like I've been like three things and I'm like, ooh, something's not working. So, <laughs> so anyway, three things. <laughs> and we're gonna focus on three things and see where the Lord takes us from there. The first thing that happens is Jesus asks them a question. Who do people say I am? And then he goes, who do you say I am? Now, Jesus is not confused here. He's not insecure. 
He's not kind of lost his bearings and needing some affirmation. He knows exactly who he is. He's not asking the question for his benefit. He's asking the question to pull something out of the disciples for their benefit. Who do you say I am? Because you will not rise beyond, you will not live beyond what you believe about me. Because we don't, do we? We don't live beyond what we believe. We live into what we understand. So I wonder who you say Jesus is. He was like, what are the rumors? (laughs) What are the rumors? And they go back to ancient history and prophetic history and all of these things. But Jesus is clearly more than a rumor. But I wonder who you've met. Maybe you met Jesus as your friend, but did you know he's also your Lord? Because you'll relate different. Maybe you know he's the Lord and a deliverer and a mighty father, but you know he's also your daddy. Maybe you know him as powerful, but you know that he's your healer, that he's the God who sees you, that even in the Hebrew there, I'm the God who sees you, that Hagar says in Genesis is, is the word in the Hebrew is one who, who sees with the intention of doing something about it. Do you know he's the God who sees you? I had a friend who, um, in my uni days, who announced, <laughs> she goes, I'm done with this Christian thing. I'm not doing Jesus anymore. I don't know, it was very dramatic. It was a very moment. And um, we asked her why, and she said, well, I was told that when you got to know Jesus, all your dreams came true, and that you were really happy all the time, and everybody liked you, and it was wonderful. And she goes, none of this has happened. And I said, oh, I'm really sorry, but that's Disney, that's not Jesus. But that's what she'd been told. That's what she'd been communicated with. I don't know, maybe it was back in the day when someone was trying to get him in somehow, anyhow follow the donuts type vibe, and brought them in. And then it's like, surprise, in some way. And not fun. And so she had to rediscover who Jesus was. And I simply want to invite every single one of us here to ask ourselves again, who do you say Jesus is? Whether you have known him for decades or whether someone brought you here under the guise of donuts and coffee. Really sorry about that, by the way. Um, but not that really at all, but um, whatever it is, do you know Him? Because there is so much more to get to know. That we wouldn't get comfortable or blasé, but that we would continue to seek Him and discover the fullness of who He is. And some of those things might be scary to discover because sometimes our experience has reshaped our theology. It took me years, literally years to call God Father. My father was never involved in my life. Um, I think I met him, yeah, three again, three times. And none of those were particularly wonderful. And so to call God Father didn't make sense because the Father was one who walked away and was never part of my story. So uh, calling uh, Jesus I was down with, Holy Spirit sounded awesome, it was like magic, but for real. But God the Father was just like, I'm not doing that. I mean, I'm not gonna take out the Bible because who do I think I am, but I'm not calling you it. I wonder if your experience has has distorted your theology. And if that's your story, Jesus wants to help you rewrite your story so that you, instead of being defined by a father's absence or whatever it was, you are defined by God's presence and all he can bring. Who do you say he is? God's in the business of transforming you. And it's amazing that God does that even in the face of the gates of hell, in the worst place, in the worst environment. Jesus speaks and he shows up there. In your worst place, 
in your worst environment, in your hardest day, in your darkest hour, in your greatest agony, in your biggest stress, Jesus can show up in that moment. And that would be wonderful if that was enough, but there's more. And Peter's like, I know who you are, I know who you are. Peter kind of goes forward with the mouth before the thoughts sometimes. It's just his thing. Well, let him be. Many of us are there. Many of us are there. We just go, you know, mouth foot. Why go mouth foot? Why go feet first when you can just talk? And so he's like, I know who you are. I know who you are. You are Jesus. You're the Messiah. I know who you are. And on one level, it's like, okay, Peter, be yourself somewhere else for a little while. But this is a moment. It's a moment because the people of God have been waiting 400 years for God to show up. They have had one oppressor after another oppressor after another oppressor, one colonizer after another colonizer after another, just taking over their world. Wondering whether God was gonna come, whether he was gonna fulfill his promise, whether he was gonna show up like they said he would, wondering whether he really was who he said he was. And then this man, Jesus, there's this gospel song, something about the name Jesus. Sweetest name I know, greatest name I know. Something about the name Jesus. And this Jesus teaches differently, speaks differently, heals the sick, loves the outcast, turns society upside down with his words, his works, his ways, and the game is changed for all eternity. And so Peter gets this revelation that this, this is the one we've been waiting for. It's an amazing thing. It's an amazing thing. And in, in response to it, Jesus responds by giving Simon a new name. He says, and I tell you that you are Peter and on this rock I'll build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. And on one level, it just sounds cute. You know who I am? I give you a nickname. Okay. Do you know what I mean? It doesn't, it just sounds cute, but if we, if we skip over it, we miss the moment, the fullness of what God is doing there. Because what's happening there is something we see throughout Old and New Testament, this moment of covenant, of relationship. The people of God have been defined by covenants. We see it with Abraham, with Noah, with... David in the Exodus all along. And what it is, is this relationship exchange. When God enters a covenant with his people, he takes on their enemies. When God enters a covenant with his people, he cancels all their debts. When God enters a covenant, he gives them a new identity and it's marked by a new name. And they have a hope and a future and they have a new purpose in relationship with their big, strong covenant partner who has defeated everything that has held them back. And so what is happening here when Simon is now being called Peter, he's getting a new name. Peter in the Greek means Petros, it means little rock or pebble or stone. And the word rock is Petra, meaning foundation rock or boulder or large rock. And when you look at the Bible and see who the rock is, you will find in Deuteronomy, in 1 and 2 Samuel and in Psalms that God is constantly described as a rock. What has happened in this moment of transformation is that God is meeting Peter and transforming his identity, transforming who he is. If you wanna know who you are, you have gotta know whose you are. You gotta know whose you are. And what he's discovering is whose he is. He belongs. He belongs to God now. God's got him. Now, as we know from Peter's story, it's gonna take a little minute to get into that, um, that it's gonna be a bit of a roller coaster ride, but an encounter with God in the face of the gates of hell has transformed his very identity. And here's what it means for you and I. Um, from, I'm sure this is true of many of our cultures that we're from, represented in this room, and many of our families. A name isn't just a title. 
There have been entire family feuds in my family about how someone was named. Because your name tells your story. It tells your identity. It says where you've been, where you're going, your reputation, your purpose. If you're named after somebody, it's because of who that somebody was. It's not just a reference point. Your name is who you are. Your name is definitive, it shapes you. And Jesus is redefining Peter. So the question I wanna ask is who or what is naming you? What is naming your very existence? What is naming your life, naming your story? Who has named you? You know that, that nursery rhyme, sticks or stones may break my bones, but words could never hurt me. Such a lie, isn't it? It's rubbish. I'm so glad to say rubbish in a country who understands what I mean when I say rubbish as well. Thank you very much. Ministering to me. Rubbish. Once more for good luck. Give me a stick any day. Because if you've got a stick and I've got a stick, we're gonna go stick to stick. And then you're gonna see how big your stick is, son. Or give me a stone. Give me a stone. You throw a stone, I'm not sticking around for a stone. You've got time to throw a stone at me. I've got time to leave. It's fine. But names, the names you call me, the words you call me, the things that you say I'm never going to be, the things you say I always am, the things that might have been said out of your own exhaustion and your own stress and your own brokenness and your own broken story, but somehow still came my way, the things that might have been said out of your own brokenness or your own insecurity, your own jealousy, but they came out anyway, those words have a way of surpassing the stick. Those words have a way of getting faster than a stone and they get into your heart and they get into your mind and they have a way of staying there, embedding themselves in your very identity until they reshape you because you are consumed with the energy of trying to prove you are not what someone said about you or said to you. And you are fighting words that were said decades ago fighting things which have named you. And some of us are named by the words people have said. Some of us are named by the reputations that have been around us. I remember doing a Bible study with a group of women years ago, and one woman said, and, and sometimes it's even the good things. One woman said, I've always been known as the strong one. And then she sighed, and she said, I just wish that someone would be the strong one for me. It defined her. Couldn't have a bad day now. Why? Because she's a strong one. Maybe we're named by the circumstances in our life. Not been the greatest few years, has it? Fun times. Fun times is a nice way of saying catastrophic times. Absolutely devastating. I wonder how those things have reshaped you, have redefined you. What's named you, your existence, your very way of being, your sense of hope? Because even in the face of the gates of hell, Jesus wants to come and give you a new name, transform you, transform the things that have defined you. He talks about restoring, the Bible talks about the Lord restoring the years that the locusts have eaten. I love that phrase. I love it because locusts are so consuming. And they take over for you, they take up, everything's gone. And some of us have had stories and situations where life has been lifing on us and it has 
taken years off us. And we're still dealing with the consequences of somebody else's mess, somebody else's choices, somebody else's sin, or our own mess, our choices, our sin. But either way, he will restore the years that the locusts have eaten. What is naming you? And did you know, did you know that even in the face of hell, God comes to give you a new name? That's who he is. And you know, if those were all the things, that would be fun, that would be enough. Who's Jesus? He's awesome, yay. He gives you a new name, yay. But that's not even the rest of the passage. So we're gonna do one more. She says, oh, I still, you know what? I even numbered the pages and I still can't find the notes. But this goes along with my theme of numbers not being my friend. So there we go. That's still not the right one. There it is. Or never mind. So the last moment we see that he gives him a new name. But then he says this, I tell you that you are Peter and on this rock I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. In the Bible, keys are always a symbol of authority. You might like the building, but you ain't going nowhere if you ain't got the keys. You could, you could sing around it, dance around it, but you need to get in. <laughs> then you know who's really got the power. <laughs> keys matter, they are a symbol of authority. And he gives them the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Now, just to clarify, the kingdom of heaven is not a geographical location. In the Greek there where it says kingdom, the word is basileia, and it often should be translated kingship, the rule of God, the rule of heaven. If you wanna know what the rule of heaven looks like, what the kingship of heaven looks like, you look at the king. You look at the life of Jesus in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John explicitly. And what we see about when the king comes is that outcasts are radically included. When the king comes, sins are forgiven. When the king comes, you can't stand there judging. He who is without can throw the first stone. When the king comes, there is healing. When the king comes, demons have to go. When the king comes, there is salvation. When the king comes, society is turned upside down. And there is a new day. When the king comes, there is salvation. And all the things that took us captive are broken on the cross. And the same power that raised Christ from the dead lives in each and every single one of us when the king comes. You wanna know what the kingdom of heaven looks like? Look at the king. Look at the king. And then know that that king is handing you a set of keys and saying, I give you, I give you every single one of you, whether you're rich or poor, whatever your ethnicity, whatever your socioeconomic group, whatever your physical ability, I give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you loose, whatever you bind, the authority I have, I now give to you. Why? Because we're in relationship. Remember, I'm your bigger covenant partner and you're in me now. I've transformed your life and I'm still transforming you. So have you got your keys? Because what we see in the Gospels and what we see in the book of Acts is that these everyday men and women, like a Peter, will pick up their keys and they will preach a word and thousands are added to their community. You will see a waiter named Stephen lay down his life as he proclaims Jesus. You'll see a businesswoman called Lydia open up her home and open up a continent called Europe for the gospel. You will see a doctor called Luke write Luke and Acts 
until the story of the King of Kings, you will see everyday men and women being walking, talking, overflows of the kingdom of heaven. Do you have your keys though? Your keys for your neighbourhood, for your place of work, for your family. I'm very good at losing my keys. It's a talent, friends. Very special. Very talented <laughs> at losing my keys and losing sight. It's hard to move without your keys. I wonder what happened to yours. I wonder if we got preoccupied with other things. Or maybe some of us know quite how powerful it is to pick up these keys and walk in what God's calling you to do, but you've seen others abuse those keys, abuse those buildings, and you're like, I'm out. I don't trust them because they have broken trust. And you stayed on the distances and you stayed on the edge and you've not given your heart fully to things again. God's still calling you. Maybe your keys are buried under the rubble of the past four years. Maybe all our keys got buried under the rubble of the past four years because we don't recognise the world we live in anymore and we don't know how to do this now. And yet God is still inviting you and I to pick up our keys and be part of what He's doing in the world. He is still in the business of making all things new. He is still about the renewal of all things. That still means your community, your neighbourhood, Maybe disappointment has caused you to drop your keys. I took a sabbatical in earlier on this year because I was fed up. And I was fed up of people. <laughs> and I was fed up of the Lord. And I, I mean, I love the Lord. I've known him for many years. He's been, he's been good to me. He's been good to me. However, I was over it. Not over him. It's not like I'm not going to believe in him or anything like that. It's just that these past four years have been tough. I live in Minneapolis. We all know what happened in Minneapolis. And that's the one you know about. I was over it. I was over racism. I was over brutality. I was over hoping for a new day and a change and having to explain to my babies. Having to build them up again. I was over COVID. I mean, we're all over COVID. I was over COVID and not seeing family members and mourning with friends who lost another person and another person and another person and another person. I had a friend who lost umpteen people. I was over the things in my own story. I was over the stories I'd heard of seeing my friends broken by abuses. Over it. And so yeah, I wanted to put down my keys. It's not like I felt my prayers weren't going to the ceiling. I was just like, Lord, what's the point? If you ain't gonna show up, why are we doing this? I know you're real. You've done amazing things. Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, but come on now, renew them in our day. All day. And so maybe the disappointment has come to define us. Maybe it has shaped our theology. Maybe it's like almost knowing God. And I simply wanna invite you friends, let's reset. Let's reset. It is time to pick up our keys. And I don't know where he's calling you and I don't know where he's sending you, but I know that he is. It is time for us to answer those questions. Who do you say Jesus is? And if disappointment has shaped you, to bring it to the cross. So it's time to think what's naming you and if you've been named by your story and you can't get past your past, let's bring that to the cross.
and it's time when he invites us to pick up our keys that if you are standing on broken visions and broken dreams and things that didn't work and things you tried before, that again, that would bring that to the cross and allow the Lord to resurrect us all. Allow the Lord, whose mercies are new every morning, to give us a new day. As I come into the land, I, the picture that comes to my mind is that sometimes we can get caught arguing with failures, angry at the failures, and that's understandable because grief is real, <laughs> grief is real. And for those of us who've been standing grieving for a long time, the Lord comes alongside us, he weeps with those who weep. But for some of us, there's a whisper alongside that, which is, you're right, all those things happened, and now I want you to pick up your keys and walk with me into the next step, and the next step, and the next step. Are you ready with your keys? Let's take a moment to pray together before we come to communion. Lord, we simply ask, we simply ask that you would show us Search us, O oh God, and know our hearts. Show us where we've lost sight of your name. Show us where we've been renamed. And show us how to pick up our keys with you. And Lord, as we come to your table, as we come to the cross, Lord, that we wouldn't come just bringing a habit, but we'd bring these things for you to resurrect. Lord, we need you. We can't do this without you. So come and meet us, Lord Jesus, in your name. Amen. Thanks for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure you subscribe so you don't miss out. If you want to find out more, visit our website, gastric.org, or follow us on Instagram at Gastric Church.